Old Testament reading is Deuteronomy 30, 11 through 20. Deuteronomy chapter 30, we'll read 11 through 20. This is the living and abiding word of God. For this commandment, which I command you today, is not too mysterious for you, nor is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend into heaven for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it? Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that you may do it. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil, in that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, and to keep his commandments, his statutes, and his judgments, that you may live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. But if your heart turns away, so that you do not hear and are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I announce to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to go in and possess. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, and that you may cling to him, for he, he is your life and the length of your days. And that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. And Matthew chapter 7, 13 through 29. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man, who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them 
will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. And so it was, when Jesus had ended these sayings, that the people were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one having authority, and not as the scribes. Thus ends God's holy word. Let's pray now together. O Lord God, let us not now be those who, hearing, do not hear, and seeing, do not see. Dig out ears for us. Open our blind eyes. Give us to hear, to mark, to learn, to inwardly digest your holy word. We pray you do this by your Holy Spirit for the sake of your Son. Amen. We come this morning to the end of the Sermon on the Mount. There was never a sermon like this one that Jesus preached. There's been no sermon like it since. We find here Christ proclaiming His kingdom, right? The, the kingdom of God promised and anticipated throughout the Old Testament, now breaking in, in history. And Christ is proclaiming this has come. And He's saying to the people that He Himself is the King of this kingdom. He's saying here in this sermon that this is a kingdom which God is your Father and which God is your Judge. And we don't see this any more, more clearly than at the beginning and the ending of this sermon. Jesus begins his sermon by saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Right? Blessed are those who are spiritually bankrupt. And then he ends by saying, Watch out. Be ready. The kingdom is coming. Judgment is coming. Choose wisely which way you're going to live. Jesus, uh, uh, in this sermon, puts these two things so clearly for us. The fatherhood of God and the kingdom of God and then the judgment of God that we'll face if we walk in sin. That there's only two ways. Two ways to live. One writer puts it really well like this. Jesus began his sermon with unqualified tenderness. Embracing in the blessings those who feel, feel least embraceable. Right? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. But then he concludes with unqualified toughness, warning us that his sermon is not an intellectual option, a set of suggestions we may take or leave, one philosophy among several others, but that it is the exclusive way to life. Jesus says there's only two ways to live, and there are only two ends. Either you live in the kingdom of heaven under my rule and under the Father, or you live under the powers and principalities of this present evil world. There's no middle ground. There's no third option he lays out for us. Either you're in it or you're not. Either you're a disciple of Christ or you're not. No middle ground. And he says there are only two ends. Eternal blessing in God's presence or facing the judgment of God. You can't walk away from the Sermon on the Mount and say, well, that was a really interesting talk. And just live your life as, as you please, right? Jesus' uh, Jesus' sermon demands a decision. Chapter 7, the conclusion that we're looking at 
this morning, verses 13 through 29, concludes with four paragraphs that lay out for us this, this same question. Are you in the kingdom or not? Are you going to live the way Christ has called you to or not? He lays this out in four paragraphs, four different ways. The first, verses 13 to 14, Jesus says there are, there are two ways, right? These two paths, they both start with a gate. Picture the gates, he says, right? There's one gate that's wide and welcoming. It's approachable. Looks inviting. A, a nice, smooth road beyond it, right? A nice, broad turnpike. Plenty of lanes for all the traffic. Everyone's going this way, right? A smooth, quick, easy drive in a comfortable road. It's got modern, clean rest stops with all the amenities along the way that you could want, right? This is... This is, uh, every convenience is here. This is the way everyone else is going through this wide open way that Jesus is talking about. And actually, it's the, it's the, it's the route that your GPS seems to be automatically set to, right? Everyone is, is following this same, this same route. And, and everyone else would, would look at you if you were going to not take this route and say, well, what a fool to not go this way. It's the easy way. It's the broad, safe way. In Scripture, we see this way considered in the Old Testament as well. Um, in Psalm 73, we see an Old Testament saint looking at this road, this broad, easy, comfortable pathway that lots of people seem to be walking on. And he looks at this road, he looks at those traveling down this road, and he says in Psalm 73, I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They're not in trouble as others are. They're not stricken like the rest of mankind. Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. The psalmist is saying, I'm looking at this broad, easy, comfortable path that I'm not on. I'm doing the hard thing that God tells me to do, and it, it is hard. And I see the wicked, and they're doing what they please, and it looks easy and comfortable. This is what Jesus is describing, this broad road. But he says, it looks like it's full of happy, fulfilled, beautiful, and successful people. But it's going where you don't want to go. It's a broad, easy road, but it leads to destruction. It leads to the judgment of God. It leads to condemnation. It leads to hell itself. There's no off-ramp. It goes straight to one destination, the judgment of God. Jesus says, there's that road. But there's another road, another gate to it, a narrow, wide, cramped gate that looks hard to get through. And beyond it is a hard, rugged, difficult road. And there's not many people on it. It's not a very popular path. But Jesus says, that's the road you want to be on. Because where does it lead? It leads to eternal life in the kingdom of heaven. It leads to infinite blessing, infinite reward. Forgiveness and grace and the blessing of God. Jesus says, which road are you on? Which road do you want to be on? Which one are you going to take? He couldn't put the choice more starkly. If you follow Christ, he's he's telling us, if you follow me, if you choose my kingdom, you're choosing the hard road. Or you're choosing the right end. J.C. Ryle puts it like this. Repentance and faith in Christ and holiness of life have never been fashionable. 
The true flock of Christ has always been small. It must not move us to find that we are reckoned singular and peculiar and bigoted and narrow-minded. This is the narrow way. But it's the way that leads to life. Brothers and sisters, um, too often I think we're tempted by the broad and easy way. Right, we try to take the comfortable route. Who wouldn't want a life of satisfying yourself and your desires and doing whatever you please rather than a life of self-denying discipleship, giving up your life to follow Christ? We look at those around us, right, like the psalmist does in Psalm 73, and we say, it looks like the life they're choosing is the good life rather than the life I've chosen in following Christ, which he promises the good life, but it's a hard difficult, uncomfortable road. But Jesus says you can't keep one foot on one road and one on the other. They're going in opposite directions. You're on one or the other. And you're either heading towards heaven or towards hell. That's the first thing Jesus holds out for us, the first contrast. Two ways, two paths. Second, he shows us Two trees in verses 15 to 20. Two trees. Jesus draws a distinction here between good trees and bad trees. Trees that bear good fruit and trees that bear bad fruit. And he says, right, you look at a tree. If it's a healthy tree, it's going to bear good fruit. If you look at a tree that has bad fruit, you know it's not a healthy tree. And he's using this illustration to talk about influences, who we listen to. He's talking about prophets. False prophets versus true prophets. We typically think of a prophet as someone who predicts the future, but that's part, that's part of what prophecy is in Scripture. But, but much more in, in the Bible, a prophet is someone who speaks God's word to his people, who says, this is what God has to say about this. This is what God thinks about this. And Jesus is giving a warning to us here, right? He's, he's given us this, there's two ways to live. Now he's saying there's two types of influences you can have in your life, two types of people that you can listen to and follow their advice. And he says there are false prophets. Bad trees which produce bad fruit. What's he warning us about here? He's saying, are you influenced by those who speak God's truth and those whose lives match up to what they are talking about? Right? Who are living holy lives. Are you influenced by, by them? Or are you influenced by, by those who, who might speak partial truth of God's word, but it's, it's, it's diluted or it's, or it's twisted just slightly. Or they might speak God's truth, but their lives reflect something very different. Look good on the outside, but, but their lives right, are, are bearing bad fruit. We have so many resources we can listen to. Good teachers that we can find, right? Uh, podcasts, etc. Right? All these audiobooks and, and all kinds of good things. But are we, are we choosing the, the right ones and the good ones and being discerning? Are we listening to those whose lives reflect Christ? It's easy to be tempted and swayed by the, the glossy finish and the nice editing and, and, and the, the, the professional right, packaging that, that these teachers can come to us in. But are we listening to those whose lives are holy and humble like Christ and speak the truth of Christ, the whole truth of Christ? Jesus says, test who you listen to and test who influences you. Make sure you're listening to true prophets, those who truly speak God's word. Let that influence you immeasurably. 
pay attention to them. Hear God's word from those who live his word faithfully. So Jesus says there's two paths you can take. There's two types of influences you can have. Then he says there's two confessions, two professions of faith or confessions of faith that you can make. We see this in verses 21 to 23. He looks to the final judgment here in these verses. He's talking about the time when he himself was going to come and judge the world and everyone in the world. And he says that on that day when he comes to judge the earth, there's going to be two types of people uh, who, who, uh, who are there. Um, uh, there. There are going to be those who think they're in his kingdom, but aren't in his kingdom. And on the one hand, right, we have these people who say to him, as he says here, verse, uh, verse 21, following, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? So these are people who are saying to the Lord, right, we, we've done these good things. We, and, and they were convinced. They'd convinced themselves. They were in his kingdom. They were all set. They, they'd done some pretty amazing things. Cast out demons. Done miracles. But notice that their confession is all about what they've done. And it's about their outward works. Lord, look what we did on the outside for you and in your name. But Jesus responds to them with devastating words. He says, I never knew you. You're holding out these things you've done. You said, I did this for you, but I didn't know you. Right? I didn't know you at all. And he says to them, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. They're saying, remember me, Jesus? You know me, don't you? And he's saying, no, I don't know you at all. I never knew you. Not just, I knew you once, I don't know you now, but I never knew you, he says. There was never a time he was their Savior or their Lord. So these people are terribly mistaken. Why is it that Jesus says he never knew them? If you look at verse 21b, you see that um, those whom Jesus says he does know are those who do the will of the Father, those who, right, we saw this a lot in chapter 6, Jesus put such an emphasis there on our obedience being one of loyal love to the Father, driving what we're doing. And so Jesus is saying those who are pointing to their outward works, uh, their so-called good works that they've done, weren't doing it for the Father. They weren't doing it to please Him. It was just, it was just religious, but not for the Lord. Right? It was an outward thing. It, was, it wasn't done uh, to, out of gratitude to Christ for his salvation. It wasn't done out of gratitude for God's grace. It was done selfishly. It was just done to get the approval of others instead of God's blessing. It was an act. And Jesus is telling them it's such a good act. And you kept it up for so long, you fooled yourselves. You convinced yourself you were in the kingdom when you weren't. And that is another strong warning to us, isn't it, brothers and sisters, right? We can think we're in. We think we're all set. And we can point to all the good things that we do in Jesus' name, but not really be known by him. Doing things in Jesus' name doesn't make you a Christian. Right? What about Judas Iscariot? Right? He's there. He does many mighty works in Christ's name. But on the last day, Christ will say to him, I never knew you. Is your Christianity a matter of your love and submission to your Heavenly Father? A deep, personal, 
commitment to worship and serve your Father in heaven. That's what Jesus is asking. Right? That's what will mark out those who belong to his kingdom. It's not going to earn you a place in his kingdom, but it will mark your place in his kingdom. Loving your Father doesn't earn your adoption, but if you've been adopted by the Father, you will love Him and strive to obey Him and submit to Him. And so, one day, you'll stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, the King, and He'll be judging you. And He's going to examine your whole life. Is He going to find all these things ostensibly and outwardly done in His name? Or is He going to find a heart which, by His grace and by His Spirit, sought to love and submit to His Heavenly Father and do His will. And then our Lord moves from from this, from these two professions of faith, these two confessions in verses 21 to 23, and he turns to two foundations in the fourth paragraph here, verses 24 to 27. He concludes his sermon with this vivid illustration of the two ways to live. He points out two different builders. The first one is the wise builder. He picks a good spot, right? He picks a rock to build his house on. Now, that's hard work. It's hard to build your house on the rock. It's hard to, right? It's going to take discipline, and it's going to take a long process, but it, it's, it's also going to pay off. You see, Jesus says he's a wise man because he builds his house on the rock, and he knows it's going to pay off. The floods come, the rains come, the winds come, and the house on the rock stands firm, right? Then Jesus says, well, look at the second builder, this is the foolish builder. And he builds his house on the sand. Right? He picks this nice, easy, comfortable place. The house will go up quick. But there's no foundation, right? It goes up quick. It looks like a success on the outside. But there's no, nothing holding it firm. And Jesus says, when the storms come, when the floods come, when the rains come, when the winds come, the house on the sand is not just going to lose a shingle here and a bit of siding there, but the whole thing is going to collapse He says it will fall and it will have a great fall. The whole structure is going to come crashing down. Now notice what Jesus is saying to us about the storm. He's saying it's coming. It's inevitable. Both builders should know this. The wise builder and the foolish builder should know the storm's going to come. It's not a matter of when, but if. Excuse me, if, but when. Right? The storm is coming. In ancient Israel... Right, and still today, there are seasonal rivers. There, they're, they're called wadis. Um, and, and parts of the year, during certain times of the year, they're completely dry. But then during the rainy season, they flood and they overflow their banks. And, and, and you live there, you know this. Happens every year, right? Yeah, every year, this part of the ground is going to get flooded. So Jesus is picturing the situation here where the foolish man disregards what he knows is coming and goes and builds his house in the easy spot anyway even though he should know that the flood is going to come like it always does. What's the storm that Jesus is talking about here? The storm we can count on coming. Well, in one sense, he's talking about the the various difficulties of life. The storms of life that come. The uncertainties, the aches and pains, the sicknesses, the loss, the heartbreak, right? All of it. Job 5.7 says, Man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. You can count on it. It's a law of our existence after the fall. We're going to face storms. And we need to be ready for them. 
Jesus is talking about those storms, but I think he's talking even more so about the storm of the judgment of God that's coming. Right? All these little storms of life are a picture of that judgment that's coming. Jesus has been talking about his kingdom. My kingdom's coming, and that means judgment is coming on the wicked. And he's talking about the superstorm of God's wrath that's going to be unleashed on the world. And he is saying it is inevitable. He's not, he's not like the weatherman looking ahead of the 10-day forecast and, and guessing 50% chance of a thunderstorm. Right? He's saying it's inevitable. It's absolutely coming. How do we get ready for not only the storms, lowercase s, of this life, but the storm of the great judgment of God when his kingdom comes in all its glory? What Jesus says, right, you're going to be the wise man or the foolish man, the wise builder or the foolish one. You can hear God's word, hear Christ's word, obey it, and that will prepare you. Or you can walk away with an unchanged heart and an unchanged life. Get ready for the storm, Jesus says, by taking my words seriously and taking them to heart and then putting them into practice. The storms of life and the final judgment, that great storm, are coming and Jesus says, you must be ready. When you know a storm's coming, you don't wait. You you start getting ready now, right? Um, A wise builder plans for this. And I was building a uh, screen porch when my dad one time, we were putting in the trusses and we had to use hurricane ties. And I was thinking to myself, as we're putting on the hurricane ties, what a waste of time, right? There's not going to be a hurricane. And so we're putting in these hurricane ties. But, but of course, if, you know, if the customer were to call us up a couple of years down the road when the hurricane is on its way and say, there's a hurricane coming, can you come put the hurricane ties in? It's too late at that point. You've, you've got to plan and prepare for it now. Get ready now. And so Jesus is saying, the storm is coming. Listen to my word and listen to it. Now, there is no other response which is going to cut it. We can respond to Jesus in a way that looks like it's saving faith. But if we're not living out that faith, then it's an empty faith, Right? It's not that these works, uh, that our obedience to Christ is the foundation of our saving faith, but it is the evidence of it. And Jesus is saying that those, those who just are pretending to have faith, right, just pretending that they are committed to him, but aren't truly committed to him, are going to fall when the storm comes. Is your commitment to Jesus in your head, or is it in your whole life? Is it an outward thing or is it an inward thing also? Is it a partial thing? You're happy to listen to some of what Jesus says and do some of what he says, but not all of it. J.C. Ryle, again, summarizes Jesus' warning to us here. He says, A religion which costs us nothing and consists in nothing but hearing sermons will always prove at last to be a useless thing. You can come to church every Sunday, hear every sermon, sing every hymn, do outward good works in Jesus' name, and come at the end and Jesus says, I didn't know you because you didn't really listen to me. This is how Jesus ends his sermon. The Sermon on the Mount. You can imagine the crowds hearing him and the stunned silence as Jesus finished 
processing what he's saying. And then after perhaps a few minutes of this, the, you know, the shock of it and the, the, the stunned silence, uh, they, they start to turn to each other and start whispering to each other, did you, can you believe what he just said? Right? Who is this? Who is this man? That he talk this way? Did he say these things? They're astonished at him. Verse 28, Matthew says, the people are astonished at his teaching. Verse 29 says, why? It's because he's teaching with authority. He's not teaching like their scribes. Their scribes taught with some kind of authority. They would point to the traditions. They'd point perhaps to the Old Testament scriptures. But they would never say, as Jesus says throughout the Sermon on the Mount, I say to you, unless you don't know me, unless you don't obey me and hear me, then you will be judged. Jesus' sermon here is most of all calling us to acknowledge him as who he is. One writer says that uh, the Sermon on the Mount compels us in the first place to ask who he is who utters these words. Jesus is claiming for himself all the authority of God himself. He's announcing the kingdom. He's announcing that he's the king. And we saw this already in the text here, verses 21 to 23. Jesus says that the last judgment is coming. And he doesn't say that it's God who will be doing that judgment. He says the Lord will be judging. And he says, I am that Lord who will be judging. I am the king. And then he goes on and he says, and, and everything in your life depends on, on hearing my words. He's saying to us, I'm the foundation. I'm the rock that you need to build on. I'm the only one who will save you from that storm of the wrath of God and bring you into the kingdom. So ultimately, this is what Jesus is saying. There's only two ways to live, the way of life and the way of death. And the way of life is to trust me and to know me and to follow me, your king and your savior. There's no other option. Jesus' words demand an answer. His sermon ends. The crowds go away. They're marveling. They're astonished. Who ever heard a man talk like this? Such authority. But Matthew doesn't tell us if they're listening or not. Right? He doesn't say, and they listened and they obeyed and they heeded everything he said. He just says they're astonished at his authority. And Matthew sort of leaves it open. We don't know how the crowds responded. And as he does that, he's really turning the question on us, isn't he? Are you going to listen and, and obey and trust and follow the Lord Jesus Christ? Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you that Christ speaks with such authority, that he speaks so graciously, but also in such a challenging way to wake us up out of our unbelief and our sin. We pray, Lord, that by your grace and by your spirit, we would hear Christ and heed Christ. And so be found at the last judgment in Christ, justified, sanctified by your grace for your glory. All this we ask for Jesus' sake. Amen.